0: the Lightly Literary Podcast, the only book club podcast that today has its hands directly and firmly on the wave machine controls. We will stay vigilant. We will not be distracted. Amanda, we are here to make the wave pool just fun.
1: Yeah, not deadly.
0: Not deadly. <laughs> Nobody's getting trapped. Nobody's getting overwhelmed with a, a unpredictable wave. <laughs> Do you feel in control on a Monday morning? Is that when you're most at uh, your most wave machine control like?
1: Yeah, I suppose so Yeah, Monday Yeah, yeah, I would say so
0: I feel like Sunday afternoon I'm like, oh yeah, I've got everything Under control on a Sunday afternoon But that maybe (laughs) is just because it's a day of relaxation Do some cooking Hang out, have some fun, do some chores Feel great Monday morning, I don't know. The wave machine might be running out of control today. <laughs> we'll see how the podcast goes. Then we'll let that dictate. Uh, if you don't know why we're talking about wave machine controls, that is because you've stumbled upon a book club episode. These are our analytical deep dive episodes where we select a book, in this case, a short story collection called Civil War Land in Bad Decline by George Saunders, and we'll be discussing and analyzing that book today. So if you've read it, then you're in the right place. If not, and you want to hear us discuss and analyze the work and spoil it a bit, then that's fine, too. Stick around. Um, We do have social media accounts that we should plug quick up top. We have an Instagram and Facebook account, and it is at the Lightly Literary Podcast, which is all one word, you know, for your convenience. So, keep it simple. It's all one term. Check us out there. Follow us. We post updates and kind of, like, little drawings that I do to promote the the episodes and book clubs and stuff. So, if you're curious what we'll be reading, or if you just want reminders, that's where to follow us and check us out. As I mentioned, today will be filled with spoilers. Uh, What we decided to to do, because this collection, again, called Civil Warland and Bad Decline, has short stories and then a novella. And I think the novella is, what, like 100 pages? It's like 80
1: pages, I think. It's
0: definitely less than 100. Gotcha. So we're doing that one for the next episode for book club part two and then today for book club part one we're just going to tackle all the short stories because it does divide the collection you know more or less in half there's also i noticed at the end i'm not sure if you read this a author kind of i don't know a little explainer little reflection did you read that essay
1: uh no i i think i got like halfway through and i was just like meh (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, he explains kind of his life and how he wrote this and the things that led to it anyway So there I don't I don't know if that'll come up. I did finish it So maybe i'll bring up some of the points he raised It's funny too because i've read a lot of his work and admire it But I had never read a lot of like non-fiction by him or just sort of I didn't know much about his life So yeah, it was kind of insightful and a couple of explanations definitely quick into place but yeah we won't be discussing that in too much detail so that's the stories we'll be covering all the short stories are for spoiler discussion today any content warnings you want to throw out there
1: i mean there's some like violence both like physical violence gun violence and uh some sexual violence but i don't think that he goes into too too much detail but
0: yeah, but there is death some... and violence were the ones I marked because uh, there is some stuff like some knives and guns come into the stories. And as always, we don't know if we'll be, you know, quoting from those who knows where the discussion will go. But, yeah, those topics do come up explicitly. So there is some discussion of that stuff. Gratuitous. No, it's definitely not like horror, spooky, gory stories. But, yeah, that's that's in there. Um, OK. Any other content warnings? Nothing else? I don't think so. Excellent. And I also don't think we planned our normal segments for today. So in terms of covering the short stories, I don't really know which ones will come up. I, I, at some point, maybe all of them will get discussed, but we haven't planned it around. We have not exactly planned around covering all of them. So we'll be we'll be jumping around a bit. We'll see what we cover. Um, shall we yeah. start with the 60-second summaries? Let's do it. Okay. Uh, do you want to go first? I feel like I'd go first, usually. You want a chance? want to crack at it? Sure.
1: I will do my best.
0: <laughs> Get the table of contents open so you know you know which story is which and yada yada. Yeah, um, I've got it open. Okay, excellent. And then I will count down. Uh, three, two, one, start. Uh, so in the first one, Civil War
1: Land and Bad Decline, uh, we have a uh, kind of amusement park based on the Civil War era, Um, and it's falling apart. There's gangs roaming that are kind of harassing everyone, so the uh, narrator and the owner uh, decide to hire a Vietnam vet who kind of just murders everyone um then we have the next story which is isabel and that's about um 30 someone who has uh, a disability and her dad who's a cop and how he tries to keep her alive and healthy and uh succumbs to some pressures then there's the wave maker falters and that dude um is in charge of um controls and he kills a kid and he loses his wife and interest in in sex. And then the 400 pound CEO, that's a a bigger guy who uh, has some self-esteem issues and ends up murdering his boss, then offloading for Mr. Schwartz is a
0: futuristic... Almost made it, too. Get that two more. I know. That's, well, when there's that <laughs> many short stories, too, It's you can't really... I mean, you'd have to do a sentence for each, really, to even to get uh, it there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. That was pretty good, though. Yeah, I, all, all well done. All right, put the time around me. I'll see if I can get all the way through and cover any blanks that we missed. Gotcha. All right, three, two, one... Go. Civil War Land and Bad Decline is about a sad employee of a theme park, amusement park, Civil War themed, and basically, yeah, it runs into decline, goes out of business. There's some violence and gangs and problems. Isabel, I don't remember at all. I think it was the story I liked least, so I don't even remember it. Wave Maker Falters is about the, again, sad wave maker operator who accidentally killed the child while operating it, and now his life is in ruins and his uh, wife is cheating on him. 400 Pound CEO is about a large man who is kind of depressed at work. And then eventually becomes CEO for a day because he murders his boss and then gets caught and goes to prison. Offloading for Mrs. Schwartz is about a person who runs virtual reality games uh, for Mrs. Schwartz, an old woman he cares for. And then he goes broke and gets in trouble and offloads his entire memory so he doesn't remember any of his life. And then Downtrodden Mary's Failed Campaign of Terror is about a 90-year-old woman who works at a museum and secretly poisons one of the museum's best um, things, see-through cow's, as a kind of get back at you move. Done. Ooh, MS. Wow, that was
1: like, exactly, <laughs> wow. Yeah, that was tough. I
0: couldn't phrase that well at the end with the downtrodden Marys, but yes. I also, I, the only reason that happened is because I skipped Isabel. As soon as I saw it, I realized I didn't remember. It, it was about the um, young girl with, like, disabilities, right?
1: Yeah, I and just... her dad's the cop who... Um, oh. Yeah, they, they essentially murder uh, the boy in front of his little brother, and then the little brother commits suicide in front of him and his daughter Oh and then, okay and then the narrator it. has it like ends up taking care of her
0: that's I definitely remember that part. That final that the narrator kind of inherits her. That there's no one. Yeah, she like yeah. goes through the state operations, but doesn't doesn't have anyone to care for her. Well, that yeah. was a extremely fast summary of a bunch of short stories. <laughs> I don't know. As always with this segment, we'll have to keep we'll have to keep um, honing it. Maybe we do a word count version instead. I don't know. Uh, it, it's basically just by design to you know get people on board who didn't read with us but want to listen to the episode anyway, so they don't feel totally confused. I think this yeah. is more fun for us than the listener, but anyway. A contemplation for another time, but we did pretty well.
1: Yeah, I like also that we don't prep it beforehand. That's so right. We're just like, whoop!
0: That's true. It is it is more fun and intense that way, I think for sure. A little improv. Okay, well let's dive into the meat of these stories and talk about some quotes for clarification. This is usually our segment, first segment rather, on a book club episode. We're just going to talk through some of the prose and moments in the stories that we thought were worthy of discussion. Did you pull any, maybe we do it this way. Did you pull any from Civil War Land, the titular story? I did. Okay, why don't you start with yours there because I pulled a quote from that one too.
1: Okay. Um, mine is from page fifteen, and uh, uh it's towards the bottom of like the f- the first section cut off. M. Mm-hmm. And he's the narrator is talking to the boss, Mister A. He says, "Now get off your indefensible high horse and give me Sam's home phone." So I get off my indefensible high horse and give him Sam's home phone. Um, I I chose that quote because there's a lot of repetition that I I noticed in these stories, especially um, repetition when it comes to obedience. So when the person decides to obey the higher up, the person who's in power, there's some repetition, some mirroring of language, um, which I think is pretty important. It's pretty telling about the characters and also pretty telling about what Saunders thinks of, of obedience, um and it's just a, a stylistic tool that he definitely uses.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And I think I don't it's gonna be hard for me to discuss the collection it just because this is like one of the final books of his I had never read before, it's partially why I chose it just to kind of close it out and read a little bit of everything Saunders has touched but I do think across his entire kind of, I don't know, would you say bibliography almost or something <laughs> his whole works, that he's very skeptical of any kind of capitalist institution, I don't even know if I would what I would call him, I don't think he's like a communist or socialist or whatever it's kind of hard to exactly tell but he's very suspicious of like businesses and kind of like rampant business and consumerism, I think materialism would be things he's like really skeptical of. So I guess my point is I'm not surprised to see a quote like that where it is basically a person and you'll notice this across these, these stories people who are broken out of options essentially, where it's like they can't really move on they can't really change trajectory it's alluded to in this story for example that like the wider world's economy is like shot but it doesn't really say why this is also something that he loves to do especially in short stories and, I mean, in short stories, you kind of have to do this. Um, he hints at a lot of things about a, of the world, the rest of the world, but does never never explains, which um, I personally love. I mean, as long as the tone and kind of the, the feeling of the story is something I enjoy, which with him it almost always is, I think it works perfectly. It's just enough to set intrigue without you know, being confusing, I would say. Um. Any. Anyway, so, yeah, seeing that quote exactly pulled up, it's, it's just the conundrum many of these characters are in, where it's like they know things are bad, they want them to be better, and there's just no clear move for them to make to improve things. So they just kind of, like, trudge along.
1: Yeah. And to your point about, like, the world setting that he does, I don't think that it—I agree with you. I don't think that it is necessary for him to, like, go into more detail about what— the wider world is um, outside of these characters little niches and i think he does a good enough job with kind of hinting at it and for us to fill in the blanks that it's not necessary for him to to go into a whole lot of detail about that
0: yeah definitely the um the quote i chose from this one too it shares a couple of those ideas in common especially just the idea of characters being kind of economically or or socially even in this quote tied to something that they just cannot wriggle out of and they just feel Incredibly trapite In this case, it's much more humorous because it's kind of the business itself that has you know made this error. And anyway, I'll, I'll read the quote and then we can discuss. It's from page ten. It says, "When visitors first come in, there's this cornball part where they visit in this kind of spaceship and supposedly get blasted into space and travel faster than the speed of light and end up back in 1865." The the, the units uh, sorry the units dated the the helmets we distribute look like bowls and the paintings peeling off. I've argued and argued that we need to update but in the midst of a budget crunch one can't necessarily hang the moon when the tape of space sounds is over and the wall stops shaking we pass up the period costumes we try not to offend anyone liability law being what it is we distribute the slave and Native American roles equitably among racial groups anyone is free to request a different identity at any time in spite of our precautions there's a herlicker in every crowd I don't get that reference to who's that I didn't look it up
1: I don't I don't know I okay. didn't look at
0: it somebody who's yeah. discontent basically <laughs> which yeah. we'll find anyway yeah. Yeah. He's the guy who sued <laughs> us last fall for making him hang in. Maybe his name is just Herlicker, anyway. Um, mm, yeah. he, he claimed that for weeks afterward he had nightmares and because he wasn't getting enough sleep, botched a big contract by sending some important government buyer a load of torn pool liners. Big deal, is my feeling. But he's suing us for 50 grand for emotional stress because the buyer ridiculed him in front of his co workers. Whenever he comes in, we make him sheriff, but he won't back down an inch. So. It's the final sentence that... And now, granted, I like a lot about that paragraph, the kind of world-setting tone-setting of it, but it's the final sentence that I think is, like, really brilliant, and I think Saunders does these little twists and rhetorical moves really, really well. I think his... I, I just agree with his syntax so often and sort of the things he pulls at and in the, in the, in amounts, um, although the short story collection, I think, is a little more blunt force than the other things of his I've read. But it's because it's that hint at the end that the guy keeps coming back even though he's so furious yeah. and discontented them so it's it, everyone in this paragraph is kind of torn and twisted and kind of like emotionally like, uh, yeah, I don't know, knotted up with each other? Like, why does he keep coming in? Why do they have to do this, make people slaves and Native Americans? Why do they, you know, why does the business, like, why why did he get made fun of in front of his coworkers? And why does that mean he gets to sue the company? Why did the company not update their, like, it's just kind of all falling apart, but they're all caught up with each other. And I think Mm -hmm. that final sentence, especially that little revelation that this guy, like, just repeatedly comes back, this is, you know, apparently something he just wants to do a lot <laughs> is go to the civil war party land and yeah i don't it's just kind of i don't know adds an extra layer of sadness I, I will say as a final reflection from this story or this quote i think this short story collection is a lot like sadder and a little more downtrodden than the whole of his work of saunders work but i do think this yeah. is like an emotional range he loves to play in though a lot of his work does feel this way where it's kind of everyone spiraling out together.
1: Yeah. I've, I've not read anything else by him, but, um, I, I did enjoy that paragraph for the same reasons that you did, which is just at the end, that little, yeah, he keeps coming back. And, and it also made me think like, yeah, that makes sense because I feel like people who even in today that are like, you know, suing about something that a lot of other people would be like, well, that's just silly. Um, they they continue to to go back to the the scene of their alleged trauma yeah uh,
0: <laughs> yeah it's like i'm sure mcdonald's coffee woman from the 90s still went to mcdonald's yeah. it's the, the most clear quick analogy not clear maybe but quick that i can think of to this is people who are in a cultural fandom like with movie or tv properties or whatever your marvels your star wars and some of those people just get so vociferously angry when so, when something goes wrong yeah. or they don't like a story but then they you know but they love it they're not going to go away
1: Right, right,
0: yep. Any thoughts on that story? Because I don't have any other quotes from it. I guess if we had any other kind of lingering thoughts on it, we should we should throw them in now. Um, bit of a ghost story too.
1: Yeah, I was surprised by the um, that element of it. I was not expecting that at all, and and I was like, why is this in here? And then it ties in at the end um, when he's when the narrator is like, you know, getting murdered, and yeah. Uh, the, just all the violence surrounding the ideas of war and, and kind of... It, it was just so funny, you get the Civil War land, which is the idealization of a particular time during war versus the Vietnam veteran who's just murdering people and then you have the ghost who is was also a a veteran and had PTSD and murdered his family. Yeah, there's this scene where he's like using a
0: scythe, and that it becomes pretty yeah. clear that's how that his family died. And he had to, he spends yeah. like an entire day. They're kind of trapped in a loop for a bit of him murdering them, and they they keep playing out the scene. I mean, it's rather yeah. the, the other thing too. I appreciate, and I, I don't know if we're going to approach these stories with with quite this lens because I mean we could spend the rest of this. Podcast just on this story probably, yeah. but it's it's yeah. rather. I I think well, I don't know. Again, I'm trying to tamp down my my like fandom for Saunders, which you know is is quite high. <laughs> I'm trying to be reasonable. <laughs> but I, what, one thing I do love about a lot of the stories is it's strange and entertaining, compelling on its own. Like I think it's just a weird enough scenario, and it's interesting, yada yada. But like, think of the layers of of like kind of interpretation you could apply on this like yeah there's multiple different wars there's different people from different eras there's different people being violent for different reasons there's it's just like we could keep unpacking this for a long time i I feel like if we wanted to
1: yeah for sure and and i think it's also uh telling too that he he incorporates gangs into this too because there's this whole um agenda of like the war on gangs so that's also war language And it's, I think it all ties together really nicely. Yeah. yeah. um, Another thing at the
0: edge of the story that never gets fully explained is kind of like, why, why is, why are gangs running amok? Why, why is the like social fabric of whatever America's like at this time kind of falling apart? (laughs) And so, yeah, that's, um, well, yeah, any other, I was going to keep going on, but I, I do think we should move to other stories. Any other thoughts on that Civil War land titular story? Nope. I think maybe the best one. I don't know. We'll we'll maybe do that at the end real quick. <laughs> maybe our yeah. ranking should have just been to rank the stories. That that would be funny. <laughs> maybe we'll do that yeah, at the end just quickly. Um, yeah. where, where else did you pull a quote from? What story do you want to jump to? <clears throat>
1: um, I so the next one is Isabel, and yeah, oh, okay. I, I I very quickly wanted to point one thing out about that. Um, the very first paragraph of the story, I was really um, really into how. Uh, saunders uses imagery and his his way of like uh using really unique um comparisons when he is creating Mm -hmm. both a tone as well as an image i think that um I, i can see why you are a huge fan of his um so i'll just really quickly read the first great act of love i ever witnessed was split lip bathing his handicapped daughter we were young ignorant of mercy and called her boneless or balled up gumby for the way her limbs were twisted and useless she looked like a newborn cult appendages folded in as she lay on the velar couch protected by guardrails um and then it goes on but i i I like some of these like the, the name split lip that's really interesting um but also the image of of what she looks like what isabel looks like mm-hmm. um or as they call her throughout we don't find out her name until the very end boneless yeah um i that kind of image it's just what an interesting way to describe that and also it's very telling of like a cult is is helpless at the beginning right so young and um vulnerable so all of these other ideas that come into play by just choosing that one image to describe this girl um and and i just i thought that that was really impressive and and it's something that he does throughout too is his his imagery and his use of similes and metaphors are really telling yeah a bit of
0: a bit of kindness creeps through too they're comparing it to a cult like you know horses have this majesty to them and then also this deep people who love horses have kind of a deep Bone deep. I was gonna say obsession, but that that wouldn't be quite fair. But it, it, it's like yeah. a really intimate kind of love that people can have for those animals. And so yeah. I think showing that, but using that here is helpful for Split Lip, who you know is a quite a violent person and is not going to be the most sympathetic person. But this like one act of care that he gives, it's pretty genuine. And so I think yeah, there's a lot of a lot of smart layers to that to that image for sure. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and I love the way that he depicts Split Lip too because the very first image we get of him is that he is a really caring and loving father mm-hmm. versus yeah. later on in the story when, you know, the, the acts of violence that he commits and it's just, I, I find it fascinating.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think too, that it's I'm not sure how to phrase this. Um, it, I think what Saunders observes so often is that a person being good in one part of their life just isn't enough to make their life good or worthwhile or like uh, I don't know he I think he just loves these kind of broken people and often explores them. Now I think that's true for most authors. It, stories would be pretty boring if characters were well adjusted and their lives were humming along. But I, I think his characters are especially can be especially flawed and tragic, and he just kind of revels in that and likes to explore. The part that makes them kind of beautiful, the part that makes him broken. Yeah, this story I didn't. I don't. This one didn't stick with me for whatever reason. But it's an extremely well chosen quote. I just don't have any like thoughts. I, I guess my my Saunders stories that I love, I think always have a tinge of the fantastical to them like there's a ghost or there's sci-fi or there you know like he because he dips into those those kind of genres or wells but doesn't go very deep which i always appreciate like he hints at things Mm -hmm. but doesn't yet anyway i wouldn't say he's like a genre writer but yeah no really well chosen any other isabel thoughts
1: no i i actually did really like this story so yeah
0: yeah Uh, great yeah let's jump to I pulled the quote from the 400-pound CEO. I'm just going to read the opening oh, yeah. paragraph. Did you pull a quote from that one too? or?
1: Uh, yeah, I did. Okay, yeah, <laughs>
0: let's talk about that one. Uh, The opening paragraph reads: At noon, another load of raccoons comes in, and Claude takes them out back of the office and executes them with a tire iron. Then he checks for vitals, wearing protective gloves. Then he drags the cage across 209 and initiates burial by dumping the raccoons into the pit that's our little corporate secret. After burial comes prayer, a personal touch that never fails to irritate Tim, our ruthless CEO. Before founding Humane Raccoon Alternatives, Tim purposely backed his car over a frat boy and got 10 to 12 for manslaughter. In Dale, here earned his MBA by designing and marketing a line of light-up Halloween lapel brooches. Now he gives us the brooches as performance incentives and sporadically trashes a bookshelf or two to remind us of his awesome temper and how ill-advised we would be to cross him in any way whatsoever. So it's a rather efficient opening. I I wanted to pull this quote. I mean, we could pull opening paragraphs from a lot of these short stories, but I think this is... um, (laughs) It kind of helps me admire or remember why I admire short stories or short fiction when it's done well or has the right kind of tone and pace and temperament. Uh, the first sentence, obviously, will, will blow you away and also make you baffled. It's like, why are you offloading raccoons and beating them with tire irons? It's you know incredibly violent, of course, but also, I don't know, that's the other thing, too, that I think can't get lost with Saunders. It's like, a lot of it's funny. I mean, it's absurd yeah. and kind of stupid, but it's it, and quite sad, and I, I do think, I'll, I'll say this, I know I'm just praising him like very widely today, but that was inevitable on this podcast because he's just probably one of my favorite writers. But I do think that he really masters the kind of laugh cry combo where it's like his stories are deeply sad but they're also really absurd funny and kind of stupid at times which I think is the (laughs) right I don't know it's not easy to do that well anyway Calling it Humane Raccoon Alternatives, obviously the irony there, that's part of his commentary about kind of businesses and the silly nonsense phrases that define a lot of business that are really meaningless and just mask things that are simpler and dumber and more violent than what it is. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah. Uh, the light of brooches to NBA in prison, That's there's a lot to unpack there. But then, of course, um, the final detail, which is that like he's got this big temper and Even though their business is performing illegal violence, he himself is frustrated by it, but is also violent. So there's just there's kind of twists and ironies all over this paragraph, too. Any thoughts on it? Yeah,
1: I love it. Yeah. In general, like each of these stories, I feel like their their intros are just so strong. Each one is striking. Yeah. Just in the first two sentences that you read are just like this is going to be a really good story just immediately you can tell yeah um but yeah the i remember when i first read this sentence i i had to read it like twice because i was like wait what i know yeah it's a <laughs> what's alarming. happening to these raccoons yeah
0: Well oh, and then yeah and then he of course takes the time to tease out the people's roles and why they're doing it's you know by the end it's the kind of world building where you're not confused it's also not extremely clear by the end like again why would I mean, they do interact with a customer, so it's kind of clear, like, who wants this kind of service or why they would want it. Although, of course, the irony in that moment is that that he kills a raccoon in front of the customers because it attacks him (laughs) and then gets critiqued for for defending himself. So it's like, yeah, his boss, a violent man, basically can't do anything about this, even though he wants to. It's, yeah, very funny. Yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, I thought the, I thought one of the openings story. should be worth pulling. I don't know if that's my favorite story in the collection, but I think the opening was was striking. So worth pulling. Yeah. What, what did you pull that's from good. this one?
1: Um, the what I pulled from this one is actually more for the the motif stuff um, and for the 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 top three picks. Oh yeah.
0: Oh, I see. Any other quick thoughts on this story? Uh, Did you find the ending? It's another case where the ending is abrupt, tragic. It just kind of adds, you know, limp and sad, which I think it would be fair to say that a lot of Saunders can feel that way.
1: Yeah, I was going to say a lot of these. uh, I, I feel like all of these stories, only one of them did not end too terribly.
0: And that was the Wavemaker one. Oh, see, and I thought where that he, one was really depressing. But I, doesn't the Isabel one end with Isabel getting the care, like from a? Per, I mean, granted, her father's dead. Not that she can fully process that, but do, isn't she in? Doesn't she have someone to look after her at the end? Yeah, the narrator guess, takes yeah. care of her after right. after he gets her out of the institution where she's. Yeah, you know, they, she was not very well. Yeah, taken tortured. Care of. Um, um Not literally, you know, kind of literally, maybe not literally tortured, but yeah. No, I let's um. Let's save the ending of that other story the wavemaker just because I, I had thoughts on that for motifs as well sure. and maybe I'll bring it up then but yeah it's it's at least... He doesn't die. He does not yeah, die. I don't know if that's any consolation. Um, there was a close call there, but yeah. Yeah, so there, he's alive, which, you know, that that is positive. Um, okay, well then, yeah, any other thoughts on the 400-pound CEO? Was, how about this? It's at least worth bringing the question up. It's in the title. Is, does that story have a intimate understanding of, like, obesity, you think? It's... It's kind of tamped down in there. It's a it is a consideration. The character is a bit defeated by it, but it's he's very matter of fact about it and Details some of his eating habits and like kind of just I don't know it, it's it's integral to the plot because other characters mock him at work and it's that becomes part of the story. Um, I don't. Do you feel like it was well done or sensitive? It. I, I almost feel I don't know if you can take a middle ground position on this, but it, there were a couple sentences where I was like, ah, that's a little like sloppy or I don't know if it's like leering or something. But then there were other character beats or plot occurrences in the story where i thought like especially the conclusion where he just wants to throw a party and like he wants to help everybody and give back and everything having that be his triumph and then tra- followed by tragedy i really like that t- twist at the end i thought that mm-hmm. fit the character and the growth and everything well and was of course in the saunders way i love like really sweet and then awful and you know tragic or whatever <laughs> in short order but I, yeah did you yeah. feel like he he wrote
1: that character well Yeah, I think so. And I don't know about like whether he handled the uh, the obesity aspects of that well, but the but how uh, he had his character kind of respond to that with like this clinging to this idea of uh, of almost like a zen like mentality. He was like right the the character Jeffrey. It was his name. Jeffrey is like. Oh, I'm just gonna keep an upbeat attitude about everything and I'm gonna be so zen and calm and like meditate and and all this stuff. I loved that aspect, especially since he ends up killing somebody. Yeah. Um, right. I, I like that contrast where and it's also a lie to himself, so that you you can't fully trust everything that that he puts on the page as far as like what his thoughts are and his feelings are. So I like that that's kind of ambiguous throughout the story as well.
0: Yeah, compromised first person narrators. No, no mystery or no secret from Saunders. That's, he loves playing around in that pool too. I think there was one detail. It's again, right in that middle ground zone. I don't want to be ambivalent on this, but I suppose that's where I'm talking myself into. But it's when he goes out to dinner on that fake date, you know, the date he perceives is real, but they're just tricking him. So I think that whole premise felt a little shallow and simplistic. Also, this was when was this published? Like in the early 90s? Maybe maybe as a plot device, movies and TV and stuff hadn't played this out. But the whole, like, we're going to pretend to be nice to you, but really we're making fun of how fat you are, kind of a joke thing. I was like, yeah, that's it's cliched almost, or it's sort of, it's just not very inventive. Um, again, this was published maybe before that became a common trope. Anyway, so that part I was, you know, I'm down on. I'm like, eh, you know, this is a little... It's a little contrived, but there's a detail at the dinner where he like thinks about ordering something he normally would, but then doesn't. And I was like, okay, well, that's, I appreciate that. Even I, as someone who loves eating food and has to be careful with their foods, like I've had that feeling. Sure. I, that's a pretty human thing to be like, man, I want to indulge, but oh, I'm, you know, I'm nervous. I want to put on appearances. I don't want to seem awkward or make this weird. So anyway, I think it's kind of a push and pull. I didn't think it was. I don't in a short story too you have a lot to do in a little page count but I didn't think it was like a great portrayal of it but also there was just enough detail to the character and he was just well realized enough for it not to like bug me I guess is how I'd say it. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, the the whole like bet you won't go on a date with this uh, obese man like that yeah, I don't I thought that was kind of a really limp and lame way to do the plot but I don't know. That's also maybe just a cliche now. Um sort of a worn yeah. out trope. Okay. Uh, any final quotes? I had one more, but let's do yours first. If you've got one.
1: Yeah, I've got one from the wave maker actually. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, which is not, not, I didn't talk about the ending, but, um, kind of along the same lines as what I pulled for Isabel. Um, just the way that he writes, um, imagery and, and his unique similes and metaphors. This is from page 43. <clears throat> um, Clive shows up at 10. That's the ghost of the little boy. Yeah. As he keeps me awake, telling me what his senior prom would have been like, Simone calls Leon's name in her sleep and mutters something about his desk calendar, leaving a paper cut on her neck. That's his wife having a dream about his boss. (laughs) Um, Clive follows me into the kitchen, wanting to know what a nosegay is. Outside, all the corn in the cornfield is bent over and blowing. The moon comes up over delectable videos like a fat man withdrawing himself from a lake. I fall asleep at the counter, um, and, and it goes on. Yeah. But what I, I there are several things that I like about that the the imagery of the corn being blown up, bending over. Um, it's especially right after hearing his wife say leon's name in her sleep yeah yeah it the, right like that imagery is just like oh nice nice place sir okay well, I mean,
0: delectable videos too like that's not a real right. chain that could be that's probably just <laughs> porn i think I yeah don't know. exactly
1: <laughs> right so there's like a i just thought that that was really well done and then the then you get the image of the the moon when he says uh the moon comes up over delectable videos like a fat man withdrawing himself from a lake i was like who comes like who would ever think to describe something in that way like that's such an interesting way to describe that so i just i just really appreciate the creativity he puts into these these images that he creates
0: yeah there's this is a Moment, I guess, where I will bring up the essay in the back, which did unlock something major for me because I've always had a difficult time describing what, you know, why I love Saunders or it's just kind of like how come, you know, when you discover an author you love this much, it's you're always trying to unpack it, like how come this writing works for me better than others. And in the back, he does describe how, like most artists, he began writing by just trying to copy other writers he loved. And he mentions Mm -hmm. Hemingway among others. And him comparing himself not to Hemingway directly, but saying that was an early inspiration and that he tried too hard at first to be just like Hemingway. I I do think that his prose has a similar spareness, but the critical thing is that it's spare but weird. And I think that's the because centri- I you know it's like with any like any other young literary interested person a uh, person with literary interest it's like I dabbled in some Hemingway read a couple novels and short stories whatever and I've always admired it more than liked it it's not something I seek out anymore but it's like oh yeah sure those were you know I had some interesting parts and I get that you can strip writing to the bone and that's got its own merits and yada yada but I don't like love Hemingway but this is I think just so much more for me because of that additional layer though I think I could see somebody comparing the prose and thinking like it has a similar rhythm you know cadence and kind of length to it briskness and also yeah the matter of fact direct ways he writes strangeness is just i don't know it's just what i love
1: yeah and and in the quote that i that i had pulled as well there's the sentences are very um very short you don't get super long sentences with saunders and that was something that also struck me is there's a lot of like Simplicity in the structure of his uh, sentences and of the stories, but then the the words that he chooses and the images that he he creates are just amazing.
0: Yeah, it's um like you said too. It's clippy or short and clipped and and repetitive at times, which I think mm-hmm. you know in in a high school writer, I'm just thinking high school, I guess, because that's who I help write most often, <laughs> can become unbearable yeah. to read. Where you're like, Jesus, you use the same sentence. 10 times in a row, like, oh no, this is unreadable. (laughs) But of course, when you're balancing it against moments like this, it can work beautifully where it, it keeps you going yeah. it's got a kind of a hum but then of course you have to be jerked out of that or like pulled out by something unique strange beautiful whatever and yeah he just he does that really well and so yeah, yeah. worth worth pointing out or worth dwelling on uh my final quote it'll be quick too this is just a quick point it's about the cows the, the see-through cows the um <laughs> yeah. invisible not invisible but the uh, translucent is that translucent cow is that what it would be yeah, they
1: put the plexiglass in the flank.
0: <sighs> yeah, that's what so it that is. you can see inside. Yeah, yeah. you can see. Um, it says, "I." This is from the downtrodden Mary's failed campaign of terror section. Says I kneel down and pretend to Windex her panel. Inside there's plenty of activity. The idea was to provide school children insight into the digestive process of a large mammal. They claim the dyes aren't toxic. I would think, however, that flesh slash plexiglass junction would be a source of constant irritation. But compassion is not why I've killed six to date. I've killed them because I like to make Mr. Spencer sad. Because of me, he's pinned down in cleaning and curation is out of question. Because of me, the see-through cow is a boondoggle and a white elephant, and Spencer is a laughing stock. It feels good to finally be asserting oneself. It's um, obviously a nice charming bit of character work even if it's, you know, involves mammal murder. It's um, <laughs> it's it's still like you're rooting for a character to get one over on her like, you know, shitty boss uh, who demeans yep. her at every turn. But also again, I just want to pull this quote because It's just enough explanation to be evocative and like interesting and the concept is weird and curious But there's it never goes into paragraphs of detail about the R&D Or the outcomes or the experiments they've run or like how this looks or how the cat like It's I think it's the kind of sci-fi I always prefer which isn't it doesn't have to be non-scientific But I just don't need pages of explanation because I'm not here to read science I'm here to read, you know about weird characters doing questionable behavior and making decisions and doing you know compromise things so yeah i don't know it 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 was just a quote that struck me again as like the right balance of what i love
1: yeah when when i read sci-fi and there's like almost a blueprint of how to create what they are envisioning i was just like yeah i'm not gonna do that i don't i don't care but yeah he does a great job with world building without The nitty gritty.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just wanted to give praise to that because it's a funny concept. It's also, I know we haven't, we've alluded to a couple stories we could break down in depth. This podcast is analytical, but we're not, we're not going to spend 45 minutes on one story, though again, we could. But like the whole idea of this of a see-through cow, of looking into parts that are, you know, the digestive parts, the parts that are kind of gross or disgusting that produce the shit and the methane and all that. And it's just like, there's a lot of ways you could read it or there's, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of, um, it's another metaphorical layer of, of intrigue that again, if we wanted to unpack it to the nth degree, we probably could sit here and like discuss what it means or why it's included or yada yada. But yeah this is um just another example of that too something to unpack very complex any other thoughts on the quotes uh nope okay um let's do the motifs then shall we we each like to pick in our part one book clubs and this is convenient since we're doing it before the the novella so at this point we can pick out some motifs that perhaps will come up in the novella i don't know yeah. See how accurate our predictions are. Why don't Why don't you go first? I think I've had you had to take the lead today. Keep it going. What's your motif? Yeah.
1: Uh, mine is lust and sex versus love and compassion, mm. where um, sex often equates to power, and love and compassion are um, are treated as weaknesses mm. because the characters who are loving and compassionate are. <clears throat> have terrible fates. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> so in Civil Warland, we have um, the gangs, uh, which would be the idea of like, especially we see the the one gang that we do have um, uh, an example of in the story. They are trying to they abduct a girl in order to probably um, sexually assault her. Yes. Um, so there's that lust and sex versus Mr. Elsuga, who is the owner of Civil Warland and the narrator. I'm, I don't think that the narrator's actually given a name. I'm not sure. I don't remember. Um, but those are people who are um, more compassionate, especially the narrator. Um, although he. Um, uh, he kind of buries his compassion like along with the hand so he like ah, he um mm. he tries to overcome that compassion um but the compassion is ultimately what um leads to and then love for his family is what leads to the end of his life essentially um and Mr. Alsuga's love and, and, and passion is actually about... Um, he says that the reason that he created Civil Warland is because he loves that era so much and he just wanted to educate the public. And it's all
0: like, you know, public service stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, and who's going to take it? Doesn't he have to sell at the end? Or it's just legal? I know that the legal case goes against him. That's alluded to. It's brought back up where they they lost that sort of... I guess it would be... What would the guy even sue for? I guess humiliation or something. I forget what the case would be. Um, the you know the sheriff, the the repeated sheriff. Anyway,
1: yeah, yeah. He he brought about the destruction, and so that's that's why in the end, um, Mr. Alsuga, he's like, uh, get out of my office. I'm going to burn this down for the insurance. Yes, and he and he does set it on fire. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and then <clears throat> so uh, we also have Mr. McKinnon who um, was the ghost dad. Um, and we also have Samuel, who is the Vietnam veteran who um, is going around shooting. Well, he killed the gang members. Yeah. Uh, He's a sentient he also, gun, basically. <laughs> yeah. And then he starts shooting at kids who are not uh, gang members, and then he kills the narrator in the end. Uh, but... They're important, too, because they have even though like they have families and stuff, the way that they navigate their life and I guess afterlife is actually like they they are devoid of emotion. So there is no love at all. And so without that love, they actually are the ones who exert a certain power as well through their violence where McKinnon mm. he murders his family by overpowering them and murdering them. Um, Samuel also exerts his power through um, violence by by uh, taking control of situations by killing these people and then also killing Sam, uh, the narrator so that he can continue with his life without the narrator you know. Yeah. getting him arrested so um so that's civil war land as far as uh, lust versus love isabel uh officer split lip um the the dad he is because he loves his daughter so much and, and he wants to take care of her and there's a lot of compassion um he is ultimately corruptible um because he has to take care of her he has to maintain a source of income he has to be the caretaker because his wife left um, and therefore in order to keep that job then you know he has to kind of go along with whatever to make sure that he continues having that job so the the corruptibility his his bad deed because we see him only in a good light except for that one bad deed a uh, terrible deed you're right but um, yeah. But it was with somebody else. And Officer Splitlit, as I recall the scenario, did not do the actual killing. He just held the boy while the other officer drowned his
0: brother, right? Yeah, he's like party to it or isn't going to... Right. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, so the corruptibility is due to his his love for his daughter.
0: I wonder if his... Um, is there any other character you think whose love compares to his... I don't know, because I, I do, the, when I'm, I'm looking at your notes or your thoughtful notes, and I do see some, like, very clear connections now that you've laid it out in this manner. I don't know about him, mm. though. Do you think there's any character that's comparable to him?
1: Um, well the narrator from Civil Warland, like he mm-hmm. he's, he's got a terrible marriage to his wife but he does like think about his boys and when he's right. about to die
0: he thinks like his last thoughts are about his his two well, sons well she just left um, that him that's another part of it is that's another yeah. motif is like yeah I guess you could to the love compassion component is like love failing you know the failures of love yeah. and so yeah because yeah. she just took the kids and left and abandoned him right before those story ends so
1: yep yeah interesting they, they left um then we have uh, in the story the wave maker um mm-hmm. we have leon who is the boss and always there's like the boss is like the total opposite of the the narrator in some way anyway oh, yeah. so yeah. leon who is like a very lusty um i mean he's got a, a picture assigned picture of like a what is it a mud wrestler or a jello wrestler or
0: something I like think it's that a, and he had asked yeah it's a jello wrestler a, they're <laughs> yeah. on national tour all right that's a big deal they that's a big they're a popular <laughs> <Yeah>. act okay
1: <laughs> and he had asked um the wrestler to instead of signing to instead just like dip her boobs in ink and then like put her boobs on right Red. The, Red. the poster uh very classy
0: I mean, um, it, when you're in Rome, I don't, you know. I, am I offended by that? Sure, but I'm also kind of offended by Jello wrestling. So it's hard to <laughs> in for a penny, in for a pound. I guess it's kind of hard to where do, where do you draw the line? I suppose at least you didn't make her. You know, yeah. that's good. That's good. It's always good to at exactly. least. It's okay to put it, the request out there. It's just be ready to be said, you know, rejected, and that's okay too. You know? anyway, yeah. Anyway, it's funny.
1: Um. But yeah. So so Leon, um, who is full of lust both for life and for you know sex um he is in a position of power he's the boss he also is really liked and and is seen as attractive to everybody he's the one who like uh, the narrator tries to save that one woman's life, but he's he's like giving her CPR instead of giving her the Heimlich. And Leon's like move out of the way, and he gives her the Heimlich. And everybody's like, "Oh, you're so amazing!" Mm-hmm. And also, Leon is is sleeping with the narrator's wife right. Simone. So there's there's a lot of layers of 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 power and attractiveness related to Leon versus the narrator who gets demoted. Um, he is impotent after he uh because of the guilt that he feels for killing that little boy right and he's he's literally haunted (laughs) by the little boy um and all of that because he feels so bad he has so much compassion about what he did about messing up about taking a life um leon if in the if he were to do that, he would just move on with his life, which allows him to maintain that power. He has no compassion. There's nothing
0: a little jello um, wrestling can't paper over. I mean, you can well, you can turn <laughs> exactly. your whole day around, you can turn your whole <laughs> week around with a little jello wrestling. Yeah,
1: yep. exactly. Um, and then, of course, so there's the, the the relationships to Simone, the wife. So she's um, she did love the the narrator, but now she wants Leon. Telling um, that because of. Well, of the job. well,
0: no telling that too doesn't the narrator recall he, he thinks back when he can't, you know, sexually perform and they're not connecting. He thinks back to a moment they had. And wasn't it like he f- staged a fake home invasion or something? There, there's some scenario he thinks back to where he's like, "Man, that was we really had it. We really had the throes of passion then." And I think it's that he staged a home invasion. I mean, that she was a part of. They were role playing, but like, I mean, that's telling enough right there. If that's the, if that's where you go to to think of like, "Man, I remember when we were in love. That was it. (laughs) We were had deep. We had intense, deep passion. Like, okay, you know, it's its own. Yeah, the role playing thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: fulfilling all of their desires." Um, then we have 400 pound um, CEO. So, Jeffrey, the narrator, who is, um, at, in the end, he was CEO for a day, so he had that power. But even when he had that power, he didn't use that power for himself, he used it to make everybody else happy because he has so much compassion for right, others. Right. Um, and he did not take advantage, uh, versus tim who is the actual ceo that he murdered who is like a total asshole in a lot of ways um but he also has that bdsm dungeon at work yes Um. right
0: always (laughs) questionable reasons to leave your workplace you know you can go file what what was he filing throughout the story you know receipts or something like that invoices it's like you can go file invoices anywhere brother it's it's okay
1: (laughs) Um, but yeah, so the, Tim also not only is he actually in a position of power at work, and he also exerts his power when he becomes violent and stuff like that. He's also exerting his power because he is the the, the dominant one in the BDSM um, role, right, uh, right? Which we find out he has also got Frida in there, and Frida is attracted to Tim. And has a a sexual relationship with Tim, not with Jeffrey, who is the loving, kind one, who also brings her son gifts, and like showers her with attention. And anyway, yeah. So we have that, and then um, in offloading the love and compassion that the narrator has for Missus Schwartz, Missus Schwartz being the one who's uh, way elderly and poor, and um, not doing so well, um, he sacrifices himself for her. Um, which is you know very noble, but also that means that he values her life over his. And oh, so yeah. he well. instead of instead of taking advantage and you know, making all that money for himself, he sacrifices himself so which
0: he did um, do too I don't know whether he took enough to we could yeah. we could I think fairly say the story is messing with like he was exploiting her up after a point he just of course can't follow through with complete like completely destroying her and you know instead does it for to himself but
1: even when he had that money he was giving it to her No, it's true it yeah. wasn't even for yeah. him yeah. Yeah. It's,
0: it's complex and he does I think especially the first time or no I think every time he does ask her it's just that at that age it's tough to say who can consider to what fully you know right exactly So, um,
1: and then in the final one we have downtrodden Mary um, her husband uh, was brutal and abusive she was the one in love with him but he was not in love with her he was just kind of using her but then right. she did have a sexual relationship with somebody else um, and that dude ultimately got murdered um, by her husband yeah. and his gang um, it, so When she tries to exert power through her lust, um, she is not punished. The lover is instead punished. But when she is full of love and compassion for her husband, that's when he... Takes advantage of her and like beats her and abuses her. So
0: yeah, yeah. I thought hers was. That's what I've noticed. Well, yeah. I mean, and there's so much to it. If that's basically every story. I don't even think mine comes in that often, though. Maybe it will. Um, (laughs) Yeah, the final one with Mrs. I forget her name already. Was it Mrs. Mary? The cow. I think yeah, Miss. Yeah, somebody. I think downtrodden Mary. (laughs) Downtrodden Mary. There you go. Not Mrs. But yeah, downtrodden Mary. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that that whole like organized crime. I don't know how I was reading that. It was a strangely specific thing that that was the relationship she was caught up in. I don't know. Yeah, I wasn't sure. But I guess there's a sort of power motif there. Yeah. To read it under. She, she came from
1: farmland and was trying to get out of the farmland and went to the city and fell in with a bad crowd. Can't escape
0: the cows, though, whether they're science experiments or just normal <laughs> yeah. country farm cows. You just can't escape. <laughs> I guess there's a cyclical <laughs> thing to that, too. We could read into. Yeah. Um, let's talk about my motif. It is the dead. The Haunting of the Dead. And this is um, a major concern in his novel, actually. The only novel Saunders is primarily a short story writer. And uh, he's a teacher, too, like a professor. But anyway, he wrote one novel called Lincoln and the Bardo. And it's basically about like ghosts who can't go to the afterlife more you know there's a couple more things going on but that's a primary concern of the book and this being his first published work i think we can consider it a major motif just for his whole career because he yeah he really fixates mm-hmm. on characters who Either have experienced death and are haunted by it or like literal ghosts who won't move on. (laughs) Uh, Let's start with the titular story because that one has a couple ghosts in it, which it's funny too. Mm -hmm. Even though I said the dead, that's not what I want to fixate on first. I want to fixate on when the character dies. Because it's the final paragraph and it's incredibly insightful. Like it's very, this is you know a pretty intense depiction of what being of being dead is. And so he says, this is the twenty-six for me, page twenty-six. Possessing perfect knowledge, I hover above him as he hacks me to bits. I see his rough childhood. I see his mother doing something horrid to him with a broomstick. I see the hate in his heart and the people he has yet to kill before pneumonia gets him at 83. I see the dead kid's mom unable to sleep, pounding her fist against her face in grief at the moment I was burying her son's hand. I see the pain I've caused. I see the man I could have been and the man I was. And then everything is bright and new and keen with love. And I sweep through Sam's body, trying to change him, trying so hard and feeling only hate and hate solid as stone so it's like it's a really intense portrayal of you know the ineffectual nature of these ghosts like they can't or the dead I guess we'd say they can't do anything they have no agency left they can't change anything but they're also given as the sentence's perfect knowledge of the future and the past and so it's you know it's the Saunders paragraph because at once it's, he's desperately trying to deliver some hope and he has like empathy for his own murderer, which is a pretty, <laughs> that's a pretty elevated state to be in. I think emotionally, yeah. like you, that's a difficult thing to say you'd have. Um, yeah. Empathy for the person who's hacking you to bits, so to speak. But then also it's like really sad and tragic and kind of pathetic. Cause he, there's just nothing to be done. He can only observe the future that, you know, he has absolutely no influence over. And so I think, yeah, it, it's a, a really striking portrayal of, of I don't know if you'd call him a ghost at that moment, but the dead for sure.
1: And the the end when he's talking about the hate, the hate just like as heavy as stone. Yeah, that that's also kind of a reference to the the cyclical nature of violence um, and how d- violence begets hate and hate begets violence. So it's if if he were to have survived that. Right. <clears throat> that amount of hatred perhaps would have changed him to become also a violent person, so that's that's pretty interesting to me as well as that that kind of reference to the the cycle Definitely. of violence.
0: Yeah, there's another one. Let's talk about the wave maker fails. This is the story where well we've said the plot at this point a lot, but the wave maker you know kills a child by not operating the machine correctly. And this is when they're interacting late at night. He's keeping him up because his ghost is haunting him. And it says, he says, forgive me, I say in tears. No, he says, also in tears. So it's already off to, you know, there's kind of contentious, but it's kind of sad start. Um, Two people locked in like a grief state. It's kind of like with his, I'm just thinking of this now, but it's kind of like with his father later who wants to kill him but can't. It's just two paralyzed Mm -hmm. people who just have absolutely no... Kind of like final yeah. impetus to do anything they're both just kind of stuck which I think could be a way to describe some of the dead and some of the influences of the dead In these books. Anyway, uh, near dawn, he sighs, tucks in the parts of his body that have been gradually leaking out over the course of the night, pats my neck with his solid, cold little palm and tells me to have a nice day. Then he fades, producing farts with a wet hand under his armpit, which is, you know, charming and funny. (laughs) Um, And then it says, Simone sleeps with the whole thing, making little puppy sounds and pushing her rear against my front to remind me that even in her sleep of how long it's been. But you try it. You kill a nice little kid via neglect and then enjoy having sex. If you can do it, you're demented. And so that will we'll pause there. So that's the influence, right? And you covered this so well in your motif, but it's it's this complicated thing of the death of his lust and kind of sex. But he he does seem to care for the kid and really wants forgiveness and seems to almost not admire the kid, but um, I don't know. How would you describe it? I mean, obviously, he's just very sad that he did made this tragic error, but there is some kind of connection between them. They have this, I don't know, how could you not? be involved or kind of laugh at a kid who just disappears and does farts with the armpit <laughs> it's it's yeah. goofy and silly and childlike and whatever but um but no it, it just has such a clear effect on his everyday life now it ruined his relationship with his wife who's cheating on him now and it's kind of cost him everything in a sense except for his job which at least he gets to keep a shitty job you know
1: <laughs> yeah he was demoted but yeah he gets <laughs> he's still making money he's yeah. in the
0: towel in service would where does he end up like towel intake or i forgot. What they call it?
1: Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah,
0: Saunders is always slapping proper nouns on really stupid little things like that. <laughs> it's again all the euphemistic ways that businesses talk about stuff. It makes it sound hilarious and and really like stupid. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, and so I think that's another clear example. But I think it, I don't know, more bittersweet. There was a bittersweetness to both of them, though. I suppose it's kind of Saunders' Saunders's default register.
1: Yeah, yeah, and the. The idea of like being stuck, like the the ghost is stuck and the dad is stuck, but also the the narrator is stuck until the end. There, um, he, he's unable to to move beyond that one act, that one error that he made, which is the the root of his impotence. It's the root of the demotion. It's the the root of his inability to to really carry on in life and to to do anything in his life. Right, even when he's working at this point, he's just kind of lost in reverie a lot of the time. He's just filling space.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you want to look at being stuck, let's do the final thing I pulled for this motif of the dead and talk about Mrs. Schwartz from offloading for Mrs. Schwartz. She's she's alive and stuck, though. The, the dead are not stuck alongside her. She is the one who is stuck. And the way it's conveyed is it says, um, she lives in Rocket Town remembering Mr. Ken Schwartz and cursing him for staying so late at Menlo's Tenpen on nights when she forgets that he's been dead for 18 years. Mrs. Ken Schwartz likes me and my happy modules, especially she likes the Viennese waltz. Boy, does she. She's bedridden and lonely and sometimes in her excitement, Loses her arms on her headboard when when the orchestra starts to play. Tonight she says she's feeling weak. She says she used to be a different person, wishes she could go back to the days when she was loved. She mourns Fat Patrice and their jovial games of old maid. She mourns the front yard oak the city fell without asking her. Mostly she mourns mister Ken Schwartz, and you know, then he pulls out all the stops and delivers her a virtual reality experience to remember. But it's, you know, still treated in a rather sad and pathetic state she's literally trapped in her bed and just trapped in her mind and her memories and i think there's something this form of it is more yearning i think the other ones were different i mean obviously these are three pretty different treatments of how the dead affect us and how they linger with us and this one i think is the most I guess we'd say realistic, just in terms of the logics, the logics or logistics of it, and just like anytime you lose a loved one, they kind of always you're they're always in your mind, and um, mm-hmm. and I think for her having that. The solution to that problem, if you even want to call it a problem or that condition being to overwhelm yourself with virtual reality, there's some commentary too. maybe not very subtle commentary, but there's some commentary too about how people try and move on by not moving on or how people if you just ultimately cannot find yourself moving on, you're stuck, like we've been saying, then you just have to distract. It's kind of the only path left. It's like the only reasonable thing to do is just overwhelm yourself with um, other experiences. Yep. Sensory information
1: yeah yeah she's Hi. she's physically she's literally stuck physically stuck um, but also yeah mentally she's stuck she can't move beyond beyond her memories there
0: yeah yeah and that's being transposed to another time an imaginary one too it's not like he has a module for um, has a module for her husband though in the end right. it's I don't know I guess how do we read this then what's how do we read the twist that the way he makes money? Is by actually mining her real memories. It's interesting. Yeah,
1: yeah, that is, an it. and doesn't offer those to her either. It's, it's yeah, I wonder school. was
0: there was there an explainer behind that, or it could just be another kind of sci fi premise that we that he doesn't want to explain and doesn't really have to for the for the story to work. Yeah.
1: yeah. So uh, there was no explanation for that, but yeah.
0: Interesting. Maybe it's because it would. It would just read as nothing to her i mean because the emotion is stripped away right your connection is stripped away maybe th- at that point then it would just read as like why am i looking at the stranger's memories who cares you know It'd be interesting huh maybe it would break her brain which we don't want she's been through enough <laughs> we've she's offloaded enough for these children all right anyway um <laughs> yeah so i don't know if i have a unifying thought about this but it was the motif that you know, cuz as we read the first half, I'm always thinking ahead to the segment and trying to think about which one interests me most. And it just, yeah, I don't know, I found it so striking in this collection. There in almost every story, not all of them, not quite like yours, but in almost every story there is some dead character who is makes themselves extremely known. So, yeah. Any final thoughts on this motif? all right hopefully the dead do not haunt us as we finish this episode up amanda though i don't know we don't really have any ghosts in the podcast so <laughs> my brother uh, former yes. former host is alive thriving and will be you know maybe he'll make his return on the pod maybe that's the thing to happen oh, yeah. yeah that's our, our podcast ghost is former co-host i guess anyway <laughs> let's talk about a top three our final segment on the part one book clubs is to make a top three list of something we customize this for every book every work depending on what ranking we want to do we went broad for this one we agreed to go with because my thinking was top three moments to feel sad because that is a a simple emotion i associate with reading saunders and i just think he does it really well (laughs) but uh we broadened it out it's top three moments to feel things because amanda rightly pointed out that sadness is it's just too narrow and simple but i think i i still went with sadness in my heart but we'll see what top threes we come out of um what's your number three moment to feel things
1: uh, mine is from the 400-pound CEO, which actually two of mine are from that story. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, the, and the number three one for me is when Jeffrey, the the narrator, kills Tim, his boss. Oh, yeah. And then the immediate panic that he feels afterwards. He's, he literally runs away from the scene and is, like, trying to find uh, help. But mm-hmm. also, which is a direct contrast to the act of... Of the murder, which is he's trying to save a girl, but then instead of letting him go, he squeezes him to death until I think he like breaks his neck or something.
0: Yeah, Um, it's it's a hug, bit of a hug, that goes down, which is
1: interesting too. It's like right, killing him with kindness. Um, That's right, smothered, (laughs) killing him with love. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, But the the feeling of 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 wanting to save that girl, of urgency, and then of and he even says that it. it's like this anger that he feels as he kills Tim and then immediately panic. There's just a lot going on with that scene. Um, and, and it's all, it's three emotions in quick succession. And the panic scene I thought was really great because he's like, you know, he's, he is 400 pounds and he's running across the street. And he said, it's kind of ridiculous the way that he's running to the description where he's like pulling his pants up. And uh, so, yeah, so I, I just thought that that seemed to me stuck out because of of the feelings, but also the the humor infused with it, that yeah. with the
0: panic. It is. There. I went with yeah. one from that too, actually, for my number three spot. But it's it's the couple paragraphs where he promises them basically utopian working conditions and promises yeah. them kind of business <laughs> paradise. It's just it made me just so sad for him because, and again, I think this is. It's, it really is verging on some kind of, I don't know, almost like cliched ways that sometimes like obese characters get written in, in fiction, where it's sort of like, don't you see he's got a heart of gold? Like, we shouldn't cast, why are we ignoring this good person just because of their appearance? And it, there's a little cliche working there. But I, I don't know, it still worked on me in the story that he just at his heart was like, this place is terrible and our boss is terrible and like, let's just make it a good place to be. <laughs> you know, we're all stuck here doing this raccoon killing, it's miserable work, it's, you know, depressing and gloomy, but we can can you know have a workplace that feels fitting and right and and also of course it's his chance to have a triumphant moment and of course it immediately gets taken away in utter tragedy and he's you know once again reduced to kind of pathetic character so it's it's very saunders in that way but that little moment of just kind of having him Make his promises and have his moment to shine and succeed. I, of course, maybe the, maybe the sadness only comes from like, oh, this, I know this isn't going to last. He's going to be the 400 pound CEO for about an hour or, you know, an afternoon. And that's what happens. Sad in a small way. And
1: I, I just remembered too that in that when he goes to jail, he does mention that his cellmate, um, makes him, Uh, his sex partner
0: so there's also
1: going back to that motif that i had pointed out who's in power the one that uses his lust
0: yeah yeah and enforceably takes it and everything yeah some grim power dynamic there number two for you moments to feel things
1: uh also from 400 pound ceo Mm -hmm. and that's when um jeffrey goes on the date with frida
0: oh yeah yeah
1: Um, And, like, so, versus when uh, Frida reveals that she was paid 50 bucks to go on the date. Yeah. So, during the date, he's, like, elated, he's he's giddy almost, he's excited, and then once Frida, you know, tells him that, hey, I was paid to do this, the... The crushed feeling there, and then also like he he kind of gets depressed and he's like playing video games for a few days and well yeah, he takes a uh, week imagined, off,
0: yeah.
1: yeah, and he's like imagining that the bad guy in the in the video game that he's like beating up is is Frida and Tim and I, I was like oh man so relatable but like yeah but the contrast is what really stuck with me is how happy he was. And excited, and then just how absolutely crushed.
0: He and felt I think I'd, I'd already kind of critiqued that plot setup device, whatever. But I do think, even if that critique holds, it's still playing with something. That is relatable and more fundamentally true Which is just like um, Opposite perceptions or misconceptions Of something, you know, revealing Because of course, yeah, as we get the story from him It's like, oh, this is going well And they actually have some chemistry or it's interesting And oh, okay, you know, like he's connecting With a person and it seems to be going well And then, yeah, of course the revelation that it was just She was like mortified the whole time And he couldn't tell And it's just sort of that misconception that is There is a true sadness to that In a very simple way like you,
1: yeah, she makes the comment. Um, can you believe that those people thought that I was actually with you? I am mortified that people thought that I was actually your girlfriend. Right. Right. I mean, can you believe that? Like, and she's like, "Don't. Do you know what I mean?" And she asks yeah, him that. Like, yeah.
0: it's What? <laughs> yeah. There is a um, bit of talking. Maybe this is a, a more subtle and interesting kind of observation about how people talk and view obese people, but it is you almost kinda of talk past them. It's it's almost a childlike kind of interaction where you don't assume that they and you know, Mrs. Schwartz in her in her book too, I'm just riffing this connection off the top, but it's also a type of person that gets underestimated. She makes a commentary in that story where it's like because or no, it's not Schwartz, it's the Mary. It, she's like, Because I'm in my nineties, people assume like my brain is dead. <laughs> it's like people assume I don't remember things and I don't have feelings and I don't like I can't analyze things anymore, but I can do all those things and for him it's similar where she's talking to him like he's like a child or doesn't quite exist and isn't treating him like a adult with agency and thought and you know anyway it is a real sad it is a real sad conception my number two is from page 77. This was from the Mrs. Schwartz v- virtual reality story. And I think it's the moment, there's a couple things at the end that are sad, but I think the moment when he does decide to wipe his own memory and sell it, it's it's happy sad, he's going to benefit Mrs. Schwartz, but it is also like a real final defeat where because he can't live with his grief and because he can't live with the memories of his, his own wife who has passed, he just decides to basically erase his entire life. And there's a couple really um, direct and blunt but really tragic reflections about it at the end. He says things like, I'll just get new memories, like these ones aren't doing me any good anymore and it's yeah, it's rather matter of fact and I thought pretty sad.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And he's he's another kind person, right? The two people that actually come in to him to use his virtual reality story he's like really kind to them even though yeah one of them doesn't doesn't pay yeah one of them doesn't pay and the other one
0: just (laughs) masturbates or something the whole time and isn't or or, or, it's (laughs) maybe not that but it's he loads up like sexual fantasies the whole time and he just leaves them alone yeah yeah um how about for your number one moment to feel things what do you got
1: mine um (laughs) is from the story isabel oh yeah um and it is when Split lip. The dad is doing the uh, little teapot song and dance for his daughter, and she's like clapping with her wrists. And then Norris, the little boy, the brother of the the kid who got murdered, he comes out of the closet with the gun and like points it at the dad. Oh yeah. And the dad is like begging, like, "No, I've got to take care of my daughter. Like, who's gonna take care of her?" And then Norris uh, kills himself. Yes. Um, right. So that that contrast to me of like there's this happiness, this love, and then this horrific murder. Also because of love, uh, Norris does that because he's watched somebody who had loved him, who he loved, and who had loved him get murdered, and he was out for vengeance. And ultimately, he does get his vengeance, right? Even though he commits suicide, it's something that ruins the dad's life and also ruins the the daughter's life in in the end there. That's Mm -hmm. a twofold vengeance. But that that contrast between this loving sweet scene and then it's like this terrible horrific really sad scene um, that that really stuck for me.
0: I think it's funny, I'm seeing a commonality between my number one and yours. Mine is so mine was the end of the Wave Maker Falters, um, a couple kind of combos in it. But the connection I'm seeing actually is that mine also is a moment where there's a person who actually can't go through with something they really want to do and instead pick, like, an alternative. Yours, obviously, the person commits suicide instead of murder. Mine, the dad whose son had died in the Wavemaker story, like, can't kill the narrator and just leaves him there in his own kind of rumpled state. But they're... Yeah, I just thought it was so sad because you have these two figures obviously we don't know a ton about the dad but that clearly like are trapped in completely opposite ends of something but they're equally kind of pathetic stuck and have no recourse to seemingly live they just have no way to move on and they but then they can't affect they can't help one each other out I I don't know if you'd say murdering someone would be helping him but in a sense it's what that guy wants he accepts it and he says you know like do what you have to do I understand and so you yeah I just thought it was such a kind of poetic in terrible moment of two people that are that are stuck and it's also I alluded to this at the very start I think the paragraph after has some real tragedy to it I know what you said was something like it ends not well but again it ends with him not dead so that's many would say of course that is well um but there's yeah, there's a couple images. He's in. He goes to a graveyard. He's walking. It's raining. There's some lightning striking. the The final line is that he says, "This is the lowest moment. Like I will. It will never get worse than this." And so yeah, you can read that. I think positively or negatively, depending on the. Maybe it's a bit of a Rorschach test ending because it's obviously if that's true, you know, he's gonna go back home and you know start to work on things, or maybe he just stays in a dreadful kind of numb state forever for for a long time. And so yeah, mm-hmm. there's there's some different ways to read that conclusion, but I think that the interaction between him and the dad, I was I think my heart was racing a bit. So, not not just sad, I guess, but it would also be intense and I was extremely nervous. I just wasn't sure, you know, how that would resolve. What was going to happen? Yeah. 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 And That's a in, good one. In a very fitting Saunders ending, both characters end up uh, in a, not worse, but in a numb, stuck, unable to move on state. <laughs> a tragic, <laughs> tragic in-between of, you know, dissatisfaction of sorts. Um, okay, that wraps up our part one book club on Civil War Land and Bad Decline by George Saunders. And as we mentioned, next week we'll be covering just the novella. So we won't, I mean, I'm sure some short story chatter will come up when we're doing things like the imaginary essays but on the whole we'll just be talking about that novella um, before we wrap it officially any thoughts on the Saunders just in general any broad thoughts we didn't cover
1: um i I, I can see why he's one of your favorite authors I, I I find him I definitely want to read more of him like i I'm, I've been enjoying these a lot
0: yeah the I I'll, I'd have to think pretty hard I'd also have to go back over some stories too of his because he's there's there's a good bit I've read. Um, this does feel like a first outing though In the in the not complimentary way I mean I've, I've loved it because again I think that just whatever wavelength he's operating on Is the one that I love So it's just I don't think there's any world In which I would have like disliked this But I this is like angrier and sadder I think than some of his other stuff I think it it is capturing a lot of what I love about him But I will say like looking at it uh, Holistically doing the motifs Doing like the quotes and comparing the stories I think this is a bit It is again yeah like angry and sadder than than I think his entire work would would lead us to think. But I don't know, in a sense that's interesting too. This is him kind of ironing some stuff out, trying a couple ideas, writing stories in a certain way, and it's doing so much of what I love that yeah, I've I of course, I don't know, I'm in the bag for this. It's there was no way I was gonna dislike this, so (laughs) but um but it is yeah it's fascinating to see. This is I'll put it this way, this would definitely not be the book of his I would recommend to a person who's never read him before. Just because it's it, it, it it does feel like him kind of ironing some things out in ways that I of course love and I, I think i'm on board with his tone so yeah anyway but it's it has been kind of fascinating for me so i'm um, glad you're enjoying it too that's that is good to hear all right weird hemingway that's my new it's my new short summary <laughs> i don't know hemingway's kind of loaded though i feel like recommending him feels a little too stuffy for most people hemingway i mean so Anywho. yeah yeah it's a tough one Um, one of those authors people stumble into just because they google like who's famous author I should read (laughs) I don't know if they actually have any interest in what he was doing but anyway anyhow conversation for another time if you are on Instagram or Facebook follow us there we are at the Lightly Literary Podcast which is all one word so check us out we always appreciate those follows if you're on a podcast platform that allows ratings please give us a five star rating it helps a ton so like iTunes Spotify things like that we're up just about everywhere and we always appreciate that as I mentioned part two will be covering the novella and check uh, check us back on us check check us back (laughs) don't check us back check back on us please get your prepositions right uh in about a week we always post our book club episodes on fridays and so yeah come back for that one thanks for always listening all the way through we appreciate it and until next time we'll see you between the pages